Ready for the interview And if you get a cue Live on the laptop Watch what I'm gonna do Welcome to the show Let them know we got a point of view Hey, yo Let's have a combo Say what you feel Be real, that's the motto Real talk, pronto Doctor D, PhD Hit the intro Hold up, wait Gotta be social Network global Home for the locals Gotta be social Network global Home for the locals well, we're here with the host of Connecting the Dots, uh, Kathleen and Melissa. How's it going, both of you, both of you ladies? It's good. Fantastic. All right, so we're talking about Connecting the Dots. And in this podcast, I want to know how both of you came together to start this. Oh, man. So I guess I'll take this first one, since technically I started it alone, but I use that in air quotes because Melissa was a guest on season one of Connecting the Dots, as well as the person that I asked a bunch of questions to. She was always willing to give feedback and, you know, give her two cents about sound bites or, you know, my transitions between things, which was really, really helpful as a new podcaster. Um, and so, Connecting the Dots, the show came to be um, after I wrote a book about um, using food as medicine in 2019. And while I am a very big believer in food being a critical component to wellness and healing, um, of course, there are many other ways to be well and to heal. And so the podcast was kind of serving as an extension of that book um, and to be able to bring in more experts and more voices and more ways that people can feel their best. And Melissa can you know, chat a little bit about her personal experience, but she has a lot of knowledge um, in the health world and different from mine. My background is nutrition and hers is a little different. So I figured for season two, there would be no one better to co-host the show and give a little bit of a different perspective than her. Yeah, thank, thank you. And thank you for allowing me the opportunity to be the guest on season two. Um, it, so my background is more of, so I used to teach yoga and I got to yoga, I came to yoga because of a lot of injuries. And I've learned that yoga kind of helped me heal not only like the physical aspects of my body, but also emotional, mental, like spiritual, all these other parts of me. In addition to that, I have a lot of allergies. So I've had a lot of allergies growing up. I've had a lot of digestion issues um, and some autoimmune issues too, stemming from that. So I've learned from yoga and almost like stress management, like how stress impacts the body. And so I've I have that more physical aspect and every time I, now I'm learning a lot more about the allergies and the nutritional aspect and talking to Kath and going through my own healing journey on that aspect. So um, I think it's really interesting now as we're starting season two, and we're starting to interview guests, both Kath and I are on similar healing paths, although we have different uh, perspectives on things, we are on a similar journey, which is helpful. So let me, so let me ask you, Kathleen, first, how was your idea about health and wellness expanded since starting the podcast? Oh gosh, in so many ways. Um, so dive back a little bit. The reason that I even got interested in nutrition, went back to school for nutrition, wrote a book about 
my findings was because one of my good friends was diagnosed with a rare autoimmune disease that ended up being leukemia. My mom had battled some like random chronic um, illnesses that are sometimes coined as like mystery illnesses. Like they're not your typical ones that don't really have a protocol to follow to heal from or be well in conventional standards, like brain frog, fog and fatigue. Like those things, people are just like, what even is that? Are you just tired or, you know, do you just have a headache? And she's like, no. Um, so I, you know, watched her heal from that. And then my roommate in college also was battling a ton of mystery illnesses and was able to heal from that. So having these three women in my life that were very important to me still are, um, and watching their journeys and their different experiences kind of made me realize that, you know, they're all young and dealing with things, these issues. I mean, you know, my two friends were college young twenties age. And my mom was in her twenties when she started dealing with all of these mystery illnesses. So thinking like, what can we do to prevent these things? So my first path was food. And so that was where I did my research. That's where, what I went back to school for. Um, and that was kind of what I was like, food is it, food is the answer. That's it. It's what we're putting in our bodies. Um, and then, you know, through the podcast and also some life experience, learn that, yes, it's huge. It might be 60, 70, 80%, but it's not everything. And so in season one, I had the opportunity to interview some holistic health practitioners, like an applied kinesiologist and an acupuncturist and learn a little bit more about balancing the body and correcting imbalances. I had Melissa on there to talk about yoga and had a couple other people there to talk about stress management. I had two nutritionists to talk about, you know, healthy eating and balanced eating. Um, I had, gosh, just so many different people, um, some community people to talk about, um, you know, the social determinants of health and how you could have all of the information, but if you don't have access to the information that you're given, that creates a whole nother layer, um, which was another reason why I felt very passionate about the podcast because it is a free way to get some knowledge out there. And I wanted to make sure that every episode also had some free advice, like taking a walk um, or things like that, that people could follow for free. Um, so yeah, learned a whole lot about taking more of a holistic approach to wellness and season two is diving even deeper into more of mental health and spiritual health than some of the other medicinal um, ways to heal um, other ancient practices. So we're really excited to continue to just expand our own minds and our viewers' minds of all of the modalities there are to be well. Now, Melissa, for you, as you've come on season two, what, what's been your perspective in interviewing guests and, and how that's affected your mentality related to health and wellness? I think it is um, similar to Kath's. I think through her also season one, um, 
podcast, I learned a lot. So not even just interviewing, but listening and talking to her about it, like talking to her about acupuncture and applied kinesiology and stuff. I started seeing both of those specialists and it's helped me in so many ways. But I think interviewing guests, it's very interesting to me because when we're going even deeper into these topics about nutrition or even like hormonal health or like managing your like glucose and insulin intake, like, like all these different aspects that I didn't know that she knows, like I'm learning more about and even like getting deeper into things like Chinese medicine. So I think interviewing guests for me, I think people's lived experiences are so powerful because you could hear all the science there is, but until you've experienced something, I think it really helps you like solidify that. Most definitely. What would you say either of you answer like has been the most surprising information that you've just or you've discovered in your time doing the podcast? I can go first. I have like one of the stories that I talk about from season one was I interviewed um, my like second cousin removed, I don't know, like very random, but a relative of mine um, (laughs) who is an acupuncturist. And I um, had been, you know, just dealing with some mental health stuff, some um, premenstrual syndrome symptoms, like just some, you know, women, women things. And, um, but she had no idea. Like I'm just interviewing her for the show, asking about acupuncture. She doesn't know that I'm having anxiety, having cramps, whatever. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm like, so like, who would be a great candidate for acupuncture? And she's like, well, I want everyone to know that acne isn't normal. PMS isn't normal. Um, Anxiety isn't normal. Constipation isn't normal. They are common, but they're not normal. And so anybody who's dealing with anything that has been like normalized in our society um, should probably come to acupuncture. And I was like, oh, so you're describing me. I need to go to acupuncture. I, me, okay. (laughs) Um, and she had, like I said, she had no idea. I didn't tell her any of this. And so that was like a really big moment for me where I was like, whoa, I need to take this advice and roll with it. So that's when I started going to acupuncture and, you know, finding more people to help support my hormones and my digestion and realizing that while I've been told that these things are normal and just how I am genetically, that's not the case. Um, And I've been able to heal from pretty much all of it. So that was like my biggest aha moment of the show and surprise because as, you know, a health advocate, I just kind of came into the show thinking, oh, I'll just be giving health advice and having these like really fruitful conversations never anticipating that one or literally a lot of them have, but this one really sticks out to me would change the course of my own health journey. How about you, Melissa? Any uh, moments for you? Yeah. So it was one of our first few interviews. Um, We were interviewing this girl who wrote a book about, she was a specialist in Ayurveda. And I was reading this book and the whole conversation was kind of about your relationship to food, but as if like, like your relationship with food, it's your longest relationship. So from the moment you're born, 
you have that you are eating whatever and kind of explaining it as like we have we might be in a toxic relationship with food and nutrition and healing that because she had healed herself from a lot of um eating disorders and whatnot and although i don't have an eating disorder and i've had i've struggled with a lot of allergies and whatnot in my life and right now i I say in my head, I think I'm the, I'm the healthiest I've been from a nutritional perspective, but I'm constantly thinking what I can and can't have constantly overthinking. And I'm, it was like this aha moment during like reading the book. And even during the conversation, like, yeah, I kind of have a slightly toxic relationship with food because I'm putting so much energy towards that aspect of my life that I cannot really put other energy, energy towards other relationships. And I need to really kind of heal that piece, even though it's not labeled as any sort of like eating disorder or whatever. It's just one of those things where I'm always thinking about it. And it's always something that, um, that is like a struggle for me mentally. I was like, okay, this, this is kind of the realization that I didn't want to hear, but definitely needed. And it, it was, it was good to hear that. <laughs> and it sounds like both of you are just, you're having some realizations that you're actually taking on and changing for yourself, which is not always the case. Sometimes people hear things and never do anything about it. But Kathleen, I wanted to pivot back to you on this. And I want to ask you this too, Melissa, maybe just jump in after. When I say the word wellness, what does that mean to you? And what do you think it means to society at large in our current state? I mean, that's, a lofty question and something that I've definitely considered a lot. And I think that definition for me has evolved so much in the last five years. And I'm sure, you know, if we have the pleasure of chatting again in five years, my definition would be different. But as of right now, I would say wellness is like feeling good. And I know that's so generic, but I mean that in the mental, physical, emotional way. So not just like, oh, I can get up in the morning and do my job and exercise and go to sleep. But like, I mean, like feeling good, feeling excited when you wake up, having energy when you wake up, not having to snooze your alarm 10 times, getting excited about whatever the day holds, whether it's work, whether it's a social gathering, whether it's self-care, um, and you know, being able to use your body for what you want it to do, whatever physical activity that is, if that's yoga, if that's walking, if that's weightlifting, like whatever it is, like your body is able to do it and you're pushing yourself to the next level. If you're, you know, in a, you know, not everyone is going to be happy all the time, but like, if you're able to acknowledge today, I'm feeling sad because of this today, I'm feeling mad because of this and able to work through and name those problems. We actually had someone on the show who was saying that like naming the emotions is like half the battle. And so if you're, you know, emotionally aware and in that feeling good space of just being like, yeah, today is not a good day and I'm gonna do my X, Y, Z self-care practice. And, you know, tomorrow we're gonna be better having a growth mindset, positive outlook. I think that to me is truly being well, like I said, it doesn't mean that you never get colds. It doesn't mean that you're never tired from a workout or that you don't have emotions. You have all of those things, but you're able to bounce back. You're able to work through them and you're able to, you know, feel good about yourself. Um, 
society as a whole, um, don't want to speak for everyone, but I would say as somebody who does believe in both, you know, Western and Eastern medicine, I think that a lot of people feel like wellness is just, you know, being able to get through the day. And that can be meaning, you know, I have my cup of coffee every day that makes me really happy and gives me that extra energy I need for my meetings. That's I, you know, at the end of the day, wind down with my dessert and glass of wine, because that's my happy place. And that's what we do when we don't like our jobs and need that little something delicious to, you know, get our dopamine going. And so I think that a lot of people are kind of stuck in this rat race of life of like, got to keep going to the next thing, got to keep doing the next thing, got to excel at my job. And if I am doing well at work, and if I am, you know, having good relationships, and if I am, you know, keeping everything together and making money, then that means I'm well. And while I think that they're on their way to being well, like, I think that a lot of people, if you talk to them, have a lot of complaints and have a lot of symptoms that they're masking or avoiding. Um, but like I had mentioned earlier, have been told that that's just normal because those things are normalized in our society. And so I think wellness is just a little different um, to a lot of people. And I think that that's the benefit of your show and our show is that it's kind of opening people's eyes to being like, huh, I, maybe I am able to get through the day. Maybe I do have awesome relationships and make a lot of money. And there are so many good things going for me, which we want everyone to have. Um, but maybe there are other things that I could work on to achieve true peace and wellness. Melissa, yeah. what do you think? I say, well, she took a lot of my good thoughts, but I would say, <laughs> especially most recently, what's been coming up for me too is I'm having a lot of skin issues, but I think we take for granted, like feeling comfortable in our own skin, feeling comfortable with being exactly who we are. And like she's saying, like waking up with energy, like not having to rely on coffee or other vices to get us going, um, really feeling like we're not in pain all the time. When I first, I've, when I had a lot of back issues in the past and I went to a chiropractor, the first session, she said, you're going to be surprised by the fact that you don't have to be in pain every day. I was like, really? I thought this, I'm just used to this. Like, it's just a part of my life. She's like, that's not normal. You should not live like that. And I think that that's how society is today. And I think that that's something people have been learning over the past few years, especially with the pandemic to kind of not take things for granted as much. And we're seeing this with like the great resignation at work. Um, people are starting to realize like, maybe I don't have to work these jobs that I'm constantly stressed in and like there is more to life. So I think that that is where the wellness space is going, but I think it is also so important, like Ethelyn was saying, to have that open mind and have those open conversations and be open to other areas of wellness because it's not just like the, the conventional methods because when the conventional methods don't work, there are other options. And to me, I think wellness is like, and this type of community gives others hope in that sense. Yeah, most definitely. So I, I want to get your reaction to something that's fairly recent, but, and I do a lot of lecturing about this stuff, but what if I told you that the most recent data about exercise 
and why people exercise is for mental health. What would you say to that? Melissa, you go first. 1000% agree. I, I think, um, I've, I've noticed, especially over the pandemic too, like I'm not a morning person at all, had to become a morning person to work <laughs> out because working from home is too mentally exhausting. Um, but now I, now I work out every single morning before work. And I notice the days that I don't like, I have a lot more brain fog. I'm a lot more exhausted. I'm more, um, irritated throughout the day. And I think the, the physical, strength of working out, even if it's just like walking a mile or pushing yourself on the physical aspect, just kind of similar to yoga, like pushing yourself there kind of correlates to the rest of your life. You have that, like you, you experience the physical resilience in the gym and you could experience the mental resilience throughout your life. So I think that that's, it's very underrated, but one of the most helpful things. Yeah, I definitely agree. I, uh, never really realized how important exercise was to mental health until college. In high school, I played three sports and I was constantly working out. Um, But then when I went to college, I didn't, you know, go to college to play sports and, you know, had all the time in the world aside from when I needed to be in class. And I did not spend it at the gym or joining a team or, you know, whatever. That was not my priority. And so I really saw after four years of doing that by senior year, my mental health had definitely declined. And after I graduated, I was like, okay, we're going to get back into this. I had started a full-time job um, as a teacher. And I was like, I'm truly an adult now and a mentor. So probably should be doing good habits and exercise is one of them. But it was like really daunting after, I'm not saying that I never worked out for four years, but it was not a weekly practice. It was not a routine. So trying to make it a routine was really daunting. And I was like, how do I even do this without a team or, you know, my friends and I in college, we go to the gym sometimes together as like a support system. Like, how do you do this on your own? And I think that piece was really mental too. Like, what do I even do? Um, I just like go run on the treadmill every day. Like what, like, what does this even mean? And so it really took a a long time. Like I would say probably three years after post-grad for me to start going to workout classes, I was lucky. A good friend of mine taught, um, Zango, a spin class in DC. And so I started going to his class and he was the instructor. So he was really great with helping me, you know, get on tempo and learn how to use the bike and everything. And I felt very comfortable. And so then I, I was able to, when I moved, find a spin class and then find a Pilates class and then find a yoga class. And it just became easier once I was comfortable, but getting over that mental barrier of exercise was really big. And it's crazy. Just the amount of stress relief I've felt And I was just having a conversation with one of my friends who's a boxing instructor about this. And it's like this crazy feeling, like once you get going into a class and you start to get good at it and you start to master moves and know what's going on and you feel yourself get stronger and better, your self-confidence goes up so high and so much. And you're like, oh my gosh, I can do this. Wait, I'm like now one of the best in the class. And now I have the confidence to sit in the front row instead of hide in the back and 
all of those things are also helping with your mental health along with, I'm sure, all of the other scientific benefits. You know, what's interesting about this is uh, I was in college in the 90s and uh, I was a collegiate athlete, but I was also studying kinesiology. And we used to talk all the time about mental health in class. This was in the 90s, pretty regular. But it's funny how like it's become more mainstream now. I mean, almost 20 something years later. What information that's maybe lightly discussed now do you think will be a large component of future health and wellness? I'll have you start here, Melissa. Um, that's a very good question. I mean, I think, I think the holistic space is that, mm. um, I think it's, it's not as well known and it, because there isn't enough science to back it up, people don't really believe in it. Um, and I think kind of going back to your last question also, when it comes to mental health and like healing, I think, yeah, everyone thinks healing modalities are just medicine or like conventional right. methods. Um, and with, when I started doing yoga and started teaching as well, one of the things, one of the biggest lessons I learned was not just like breath and mindfulness, but presence and surrendering. And those are some things that, especially in our current society with stress and constantly go, 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 which I struggled with, like getting into a class and just laying there, having to like focus on my breath and not move. They always say Shavasana is one of the hardest postures for people because you have to sit still and just be with your thoughts. I think that that's one of the, one of the hardest things for people to do. And I think when you can master something like that to control your mind and control your breath, that goes into the mental health space of when it comes to anxiety and depression, because I know they say that anxiety is living in the future and depression is living in the past. So if you're able to kind of master those, those elements of being present and being able to control your breath in those stressful situations and surrendering to your situations and not always having to take control of whatever environment you're in or whatever situation is happening, then I think those things um, can really help you heal. But again, when it comes to mental health right now, those types of healing methods are not really spoken about as much. How about you, Kathleen? Yeah, I definitely agree. And kind of piggybacking off of one of the points Melissa made, I, something that I really struggled with for a long time was meditation. Everyone's like, meditation is the best thing for your mental health. It's the best thing for your spiritual health. It helps you get to know yourself. And I'm like, I want to, I want all these things, but like my mind could not quiet. Like it was like the moment I sat down to meditate or I got the Headspace app. So like to do guided meditations, I the grocery list went through my head, the assignment that I didn't finish for school went through my head. Like it just like was not happening. And so one of the things that I had seen was like walking can be a meditation as long as you're not using a device and, you know, listening to a podcast or on phone with somebody. But if you're truly walking and listening to nature, apologies if you can hear behind me. My dog uh, had surgery yesterday and is a cone head. So, anyways, uh, <laughs> so um, like if you're focused and as Melissa said, present in the moment, your vagus nerve will actually turn off your fight or flight response, 
And if you're listening to nature, the birds, the trees, the wind, whatever is happening in your environment, it will actually calm you down and um, initiate the reverse response to fight or flight to make you relax and lessen your anxiety. And that's just one tip. That's just a free tip of being outside with nothing, no one, yourself, and that's it. And that for me works because at least I was moving. I wasn't just like sitting still in my bedroom with the lights off with nothing going on. I was able to walk and listen for sounds and look at the trees and look at the birds and, you know, all the things that was going on and be present. And that was like a really huge thing, a free tip that really helped me. And so I'm hoping that things like that, that is like, I know some people don't live in neighborhoods where that's accessible, but for a lot of people like that is accessible and that could be a huge difference. They're also going to get vitamin D, which plays a huge role in your hormones and your mental health, you know, all these things. So I think, I hope people start learning these like very tangible tips that they can have. And of course, my nutrition side also hopes that people understand that when we're putting processed foods and chemicals into our body, it truly does have an impact on our mental health and the way that we respond to things. We had a guest on our show um, who talked about healing from ADHD, and she talks about the diet that she puts people on because diet plays such a huge role in people's um, brain and their ability to focus and their responses to things. And I know that that's not just specific to ADHD, but so many mental health issues as well. So I'm hoping that people start to learn that the healthier you are and the more that we get back to nature and the food that we're meant to eat, fresh fruits and vegetables um, and things from the ground, from the earth that, you know, they'll start to feel better and that will be more mainstream. I mean, I, I think you could really see it coming. Um, like you both have talked about how some of the guests you're having, maybe some ancient healing modalities and things of that. And then you're seeing mainstream series like Michael Pollan's How to Change Your Mind uh, on Netflix. I read the book, it's amazing. And uh, plant medicine has been a big part of my life for like the past six years. I actually think people, which may sound a little controversial, but people are becoming more spiritual and they're understanding the role that spirituality plays and that there are many branches to spirituality. And those branches consist of things, whether it be religion or meditation or yoga, whatever, these different spiritual lifestyles, which is funny to me that I think ancient people already knew. They have figured this out a long time ago, but somewhere along the way, we kind of have lost, it's kind of like lost knowledge on some weird way, but we're coming back to kind of these ancient uh, practices for that. What do you think that means for humanity as we inch closer to things more like mental health, ancient healing practices, understanding where who we are as humans and how we function? What does that mean for the future of people, you think? These are deep questions, I know. <laughs> Melissa, what do you think? I think it's a great question. Um, I mean, I think that gives hope for the future of humanity. Yes. We are, if we are moving towards that aspect, like they say, it's like unlearning everything we were taught and going back to basics, like being one with nature, like mother nature gave us these fresh fruits and vegetables and the animals like hunter gatherer times, like that, that's how they survived. 
So now we're just creating all these different chemicals and stuff, adding it into the air. It's, it's harming what was originally, how the earth originally started. So I think really it's just kind of, it's hopeful. Um, mm. And it almost gives us, the word I think of is connection and community mm. in that aspect, not just like silo alone. Like it's like, we are, we are one with the earth. We are one with each other and kind of coming back to those like relationships and whatnot. Yeah. Makes sense. How about you, Kathleen? Yeah, I, I grew up going to Catholic school. So I feel like spirituality was something that was, I wouldn't say forced upon me because it what, didn't ever felt that way, but it just was a part of my life every day. Um, but at some point in middle school or the beginning of high school, I remember like feeling very like tricked when I learned about like science and how maybe all of the teachings um, of Catholicism weren't like fact and truth or that might be a controversial statement but I was just like wait I thought that this for sure happened and like the bible was more of like a history book than like a spiritual teaching um so apologies if people do interpret it that way but that was kind of how my school you know said like this is science this is teachings and this is whatever and I felt very tricked and kind of abandoned religion and my I remember my parents being like what do you mean you just like don't believe in anything anymore and so I went through a period of being I guess atheist I don't know if I actually was because I I don't think I ever didn't believe in a higher power or I didn't believe in something I just didn't know what it was and I knew that kind of what I had been taught didn't feel right and it's been really crazy because your question resonated with me about like the people who just don't believe in things. Cause that was me for a really long time. Um, and it took me learning about Reiki, which Melissa is a Reiki one practitioner and, you know, spiritual energy healing, um, and going to see, I know this is woo woo, but like a psychic and a tarot card reader who connected me to deceased loved ones and said things that I'm like, there's no way that this stranger randomly decided to say this. Um, and so, you know, that is known as channeling. And so experiencing channeling. And also I think that, you know, I was the quote unquote bad Catholic who like, I would only pray when I needed something. <laughs> But like in bad times, even when I did like reject religion and was confused, like when something bad was happening, I always prayed. I just didn't know who I was praying to, but I believed in something. And then after finding yoga and learning more about that and your higher self and a higher power and seeing a theta healer and just so many different healers who kind of no one put one name to the higher power. Sometimes they're referred to as your angel. Sometimes they're your spirit guide. Sometimes they're just higher power or the creator, you know? And I feel like that really resonated with me because I still don't have a definition of what I think my spirituality is. I don't think that it's necessarily one religion, one practice, one teaching, but I I do believe in something and I do believe in doing good for others. And I believe in a lot of the teachings that I learned growing up, um, like helping your neighbor and all that stuff. And so I think that 
when people reject religion or choose one and stick to it very seriously. I think sometimes we're missing the bigger picture of that, like we're all connected, like Melissa had said, and that we're all together and we're all trying to, you know, do our best and pray to some higher power and connect to loved ones and get help. And as Melissa said, get hope and, you know, really trying times when you don't have all the answers. And to me, that's what spirituality is. And I think that a lot of people who do practice one religion, who, who are like exploring, I think a lot of people really want to find that hope and that sense of peace and that sense of calm and just something to believe in because we live in a really crazy world. <laughs> and I hope that to me, I hope that that's what more people go towards no matter what it is, who, who their creator is. I just hope that they're using that as a sense of peace and not totally rejecting it and being so like F the world, like I was for a bit of time. <laughs> well, I think that, you know, for the majority of humans truly believe in something greater than themselves. Now the exploration of that is very personal for each person uh, for that, which I think is good uh, for that. I've, I've been a lifelong spiritual person and um, I have all these different segments within my podcast. My podcast is crazy. It's all over the place. But uh, I have one where I, we do like movie reviews with a buddy of mine and we're both lifelong uh, believers in God, but we're always like very into other aspects of like Hinduism, Buddhism, uh, meditation, yoga. We like all these different things. We take a lot from different things for that and, and have great respect and reverence for other people, whatever they're into. Because really it comes down to like loving other people, caring about other people, having humility, kindness. These are things that I think that get lost in a lot of, I would say sometimes the dogmatic aspects of things or there's kind of routines that are related to a lot of things that gloss over what the reality, which is very, a very simple reality that that's what we do though, as humans, we take simple concepts, we make it crazy. It like make things so weird for some odd reason, like can't just keep it. Can't be that simple. It has to be really complex. You know, <laughs> I mean, you just summarize what I was trying to say very beautifully. So appreciate you. <laughs> <laughs> Now, I want to, Melissa, what do you think now? How do you think people like, let's say, Gen Z millennials view health and wellness differently than maybe people in my gen? I grew up, I'm a Gen Xer. Uh, so, and then there's obviously people uh, beyond that. What do you, how do you think people in the younger generation are changing how we see health and wellness? Yeah. So I think immediately I think of um, the TikTok era. I think mm. health and wellness is like um, very trendy right now, um, which is good, which can be good and bad because right. some people can get caught on the wrong trends. Um, but I think it is starting to spread a lot more. But again, with social media, you still you have the downfalls of social media. But right. I think it is great from that connection standpoint um, because you can make social media what it what it you want it to be. So you can kind of search for that information. You have a lot more access to all these other healing modalities. Whereas the older generations were like, ha had certain 
teaching. Like my mom was always taught like fat is bad, like low carb, <laughs> low fat. Like, yeah. like, she, like she still peels the cheese off of her pizza. <laughs> like, why are you eating pizza without cheese? It's not good. Um, and still like goes for the things that are lower fat, even if there's chemicals, because right. even though she hears me talk about all these things, it's just so ingrained in her, everything that she learned growing up and everything that her parents did and her family did. It's just, it's harder for her to understand because that's not the way she grew up. And she's now a lot more open to things because I've done it. And she, she likes yoga now. And she's finally saw a chiropractor. And I was like, now I see what you mean by like going to these people. But I think it is harder to get people um, who have experienced a different way of life for so long, interested in things like holistic healing. And I think it having open conversations like this and people who are a lot more open-minded then it kind of it spreads so yeah what do you think Kathleen I agree my first thought was like the diet culture of you know your generation and our parents generation um of just like you know let's try this fad diet. Let's do this workout tape. I remember doing workout tapes, video cassettes with my mom. Let's do, you know, whatever is the trendy thing. And I do think as Melissa said that that's continued, the trends have just changed a little bit. Um, And I think that people in our generation and the one coming up are more open-minded to, you know, other things that maybe what they weren't exposed to in the past, um, which is really exciting. I think that, you know, with the extreme fad diets of the last generation and diet pills and, you know, all of the things that had just started coming out with the rise of big pharma, I think that in this generation now, which is really amazing, there's so much towards body positivity and loving yourself and, you know, eating disorder awareness, which is amazing. And so I'm hoping that, you know, we can take the learnings from the last generation, like not do the fad diets, not think that medication is the only answer while it might be a part of someone's plan. Um, it, I don't necessarily think it always needs to be the only fix or cure or helper um, and really start to think, okay, I don't want to do fad diets. I want to eat a balanced diet. And what does that truly look like in our super size me culture? Like what is actually balanced? Um, and I want to have body positivity, but I also want to be able physically able to do everything that I want to do. So what does that look like? And The information is all out there. I mean, if you look at the American Heart Association's website, they tell you how much exercise you should be doing every week, uh, how much resistance, how much walking, running. And so what truly is balanced in the exercise world, what is truly balanced in the diet world and in your mental health and well-being, and how can we combine, like I said earlier, Western and Eastern medicine to achieve true health because they both have a huge role and an important role to play. And I'm really hoping that this next generation can appreciate both and combine them in the best possible way, because I think that would be really beautiful and really cool. 
So let me ask you this. This is very, I talked to my colleagues about this. I mean, I'm going to be on your show, which is going to be fun uh, coming up. And uh, I've been in the fitness business, wellness business, 20 something years. And I have this conversation with my colleagues all the time because I'm curious about, so I'm curious of your, both of your answers about this. This is like been plaguing us forever in the business. So I'm interested in your perspective. So we know like on a, this is like a more hopeful statistic, but you know, how, I shouldn't say that. It's pro- this is pretty much a bad statistic, but like basically 15 to 18% of the population exercises regularly. And this information, this statistic has been stagnant for like 30, 40 years, literally. And just you just said, now you have all the information. Not one person you talk to, generally speaking, would say, yeah, exercise. They would say, oh, it's bad for you. Everybody would say, yeah, this is good for you. Like most people would agree for that. But why aren't more people doing it? Why isn't that, aren't those numbers rising? They're still really bad. So, um, so I immediately think, um, people get very comfortable sitting in their own discomfort Mm. and not willing to change or push themselves outside of their comfort zone. Like Kath was talking about earlier, like going to the gym or figuring out what that workout was. It's scary at first and taking that like leap of faith. Like maybe I'm not going to use this machine exactly the right way the first time, but at least like I'm showing up. And that was one thing with yoga. Like we kept saying like, you showed up to your mat. That's the hardest part of class. You could lay here in child's pose the rest of the hour. That's fine. The hardest pose part is just showing up. And I think that that, that's what people struggle with getting outside of their comfort zone. Yeah. What do you think, Kathleen? Yeah. I, I think that that is such a huge part. And I think the other part is just time. I have for school have had to do so many interviews um, about what keeps you from exercise, what keeps you from meal planning, what keeps you from cooking at home. And time is always the biggest answer. And while I definitely get it, it is so tough to when you're expected to now work 9, 10, 11, 12 hour days. If you have a family, if you have a partner, if you have a pet, if you have parents to take care of, siblings, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, other responsibilities. And you also want to have a life. You want to have fun. Yeah. Like exercise and preparing your meals kind of can go to the wayside compared to work and having healthy relationships and other responsibilities. And that's a lesson that I really had to learn uh, because I was that person. I was working from seven to seven every day, would get home, would want to get takeout. Or if I did make something, it was a frozen meal that was easy, do some more work and then go to bed and do that over and over and over and over again. And that was single me with you know, living on my own, not with my parents, not having to take care of anybody or rely on anyone. So add those layers and you got a lot happening. And so I think that a lot of people use that as an excuse. And I also think that that's one of the biggest problems with a lot of the, you know, the way corporations and not just corporations, but businesses and entities and 
not to you know be controversial, but school systems work is that it's just not prioritized. It's not something that you get an hour to two hour lunch break for food and for exercise. That's not normal. That's not part of our society. Exercise, like Melissa said, is something I have to become a morning person, be very you know rigid and motivated and get up at five, six, four, whatever time you have to get up earlier to get to the gym to then go to work. And for a lot of people who are stuck in this rat race of society, they're exhausted. That's like unfathomable to them. And I was there. I totally get that. And, you know, to your piece earlier, they might be struggling with mental health and that just seems near impossible. And so I think that there are so, so, so many reasons why that statistic is what it is. And it's so low and it's, it's frustrating because I just want to like create a perfect world in which, you know, self-care is number one, because you literally can't take care of anyone else if you're not taking care of yourself. And so we'll get there. I hope. Yeah. Yeah. I I think it's, it's very, what you're going to say something, Melissa. I was, I was going to add to that because time is still plays a role for me because I I work in corporate America. Mm. So I am working 12 hour days and something that for listeners who don't, who say they don't have time, try framing it as like, I'm not prioritizing this. And when you start saying I'm not prioritizing my health and wellness, that your mindset will change. So like, yeah, I'm not a morning person. I force myself to get up. I will, when people schedule meetings at 8 a.m. now, I say no, uh, 8.30 or 9, like preferably after 9, because that is my time to work out. I'll stay on later, but I will not do it before like 9 a.m. So start starting to create those boundaries will be a lot healthier for you and will make people respect you more as well because they're like, oh, that's, that's good. She's prioritizing her health. Like maybe I should do that. And like that, that sort of mentality can spread, but don't feel ashamed to prioritize yourself. It's an extra 30 minutes a day. They, they can live because <laughs> when we're one person and the thousand thou, corporations have thousands of people and like they, they'll replace us within a day. So your health yeah. and wellness is number one priority and you can't do well for this company or whatever school, whatever you're trying to do, unless you are well yourself. So what's interesting, I think, you know, speaking of, of data and information, Kathleen, like you were saying, what's always curious to me when we have this megaton of data and information that says, hey, this is good for you, like for corporations, your employees, they need to have time to work out. They need to have time like quiet spaces and then they don't do it. They think it will decrease productivity when it's like what you're doing is actually decreasing productivity. What is the disconnect? What is the disconnect with the information that's available and the actual behavior that's happening? When you said that, it just reminded me of like rewarding people with pizza parties. I know, like, come on, like give them time. (laughs) Like, Like give them time to actually do, you know, be more active at work. It's interesting. Like a lot of corporations may have wellness programs. They're called wellness programs, but then they won't let their employees have enough time to actually participate in them for that, which is so hypocritical, I think. And why I'm encouraged by younger people is I think they're going to be the ones running these places or being more entrepreneurial. And they're going to say, no, we grew up with this. We know this is important. So we're going to, and that gives me hope too, that this is an important thing where it's kind of like 
people of my age group and older, they're still holding on to these dinosaur ideas of like work, 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 work as much as possible. More. Just do more is better, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Yeah, in the corporate culture, I think when you say like here, give give employees an hour to work out and whatnot, but then you have, especially in corporate America and the people who are the tone at the top are the older generations who yep. are still operating in those old conventional ways. And in like hunter-gatherer time too, like a lot of like from like men were more um, promote, like basically um, were the ones who were the breadwinners. So a lot of people are mostly focused on the breadwinning and that's where they find their value. So I feel like what I've learned is that we still have senior leaders who act out of fear rather than compassion. So that type of pressure and like kind of the, the money-making and just doing it for the company and doing it for the, like the, the bonus or whatever yeah. just kind of goes down, down the chain. And it's like, we're not saving lives here, but it feels like it's a life or death situation. So that pressure and that stress is, um, it spreads, it spreads to people. So it's like, we need this deadline. So you just keep, you keep work, work, work to get rid of the stress, but obviously the stress continues. So you think taking an hour is going to be the end of it. Like you need to get this now, but they will survive it. They get a presentation <laughs> an hour later. Chances that they're not going to, chances are if you're sending something to your manager, they're going to forget you sent it to them and you're going to have to remind them in a week to look at it. <laughs> so like, let's be real now. If you spent, spend an hour on yourself, it's okay. <laughs> what do you think like Kathleen I, yeah like I said Melissa and I offer very different experiences which I think is like so cool about being friends but also you know being to like able to do this interview together and our show because my really I wouldn't say my only professional experience but my biggest professional experience has been as a teacher in school systems and so that's where I've seen a lot of what you mentioned and why I hinted at it so subtly earlier is because there's so much pressure put on everyone in a school. And I'm sure this is exactly what so many businesses and corporations are like, but it's like, just as Melissa said, everything is end all or be all. If every single kid does not pass this test, our school is not going to get funding. Then our school is going to fail. And then whose fault is that going to be you? It's your fault as the teacher. And so it's just this like never ending cycle. And, you know, for teachers, at least my experience was my pay was tied to my students test scores. And that was for how all my fellow teachers were. And so if the students weren't performing, that means I wasn't going to get a raise. And so that creates this whole internal stress of, okay, we have zero time to waste. There is no time to do a quick brain break or a movement break during class or a meditation break at the end of class or so many practices as a teacher that I knew were beneficial to kids, especially I taught seventh graders. They're wiggly, they're waggly, they need to move, they need to gossip, they need to be with their <laughs> friends. That's who they are at this you know, primitive age. But sorry, no, I'm teaching you reading. We need to spend our whole class reading, doing multiple choice writing. That's our segment. That's our thing. We have no time to waste because if we waste time, 
you do bad, I do bad, the school does bad. And that's not possible. And I was stuck in that. And my first year teaching, because I didn't know better. And my second year, I was like, this is not it. Like, no one is winning. I find myself raising my voice. The children are not having fun and they're not learning. And like, this is literally how burnout happens, I'm sure, in corporations, in corporate America. You can't just continue to do the same thing and expect results when it's not working, the definition of insanity. And so I think that hopefully more people start to realize, like, if I literally just took five minutes to have people stand up, same thing for someone who's doing a job. If I just took 10 minutes to take a walk outside or to go get an apple or to meditate or what insert whatever practice it is during the day, you're actually more productive than if you like sat at your computer screen and force yourself to power through. Um, and in reality, you're just staring at a screen for an extra 10 minutes <laughs> instead of doing something beneficial for your body. So hopefully people start, as Melissa said, to realize like, no, I need this and I will in fact be more productive. And my manager will see that when I do this, I will be more productive because that's what's happened in my classroom. We had a mood meter and we took brain breaks and their test scores went up. And so the people who told me I can't waste time on those activities were like, okay, keep doing what you're doing, it's working. So once people see that it works, they don't care. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. I mean, what great perspective from both of you today. Um, big fan of what you're doing. Uh, run out of time here, but please tell everyone how they could connect with connecting the dots and, uh, and listen and get a hold of you and just, you know, connect. Yeah. So for connecting the dots, we are on any platform pretty much that you can listen to a podcast. We're on Apple Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio. Um, so any of those avenues, check us out. Uh, I have a website. It's just www.kathleencarney.com. Um, and then social media is Kathleen Carney Wellness on Instagram and TikTok and K Carney Wellness on Twitter. How about you, Melissa? Any? Yeah. So on Instagram, it's just Melissa Chamis. And then on TikTok, it's the lazy yogi. Lazy yogi. That's fun. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thank you both for being on. I really appreciate today's good stimulating conversation. And uh, I will be in touch with both of you. Yeah. Thank you. Can't wait to have us. you on connecting the dots. Yeah.